Welcome back to Money and Meaning, stories of unlocking the potential of global markets for impact. I'm your host, Alex Kravitz. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Kathy Clark, the faculty director of CASE at Duke, or the Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship. One of the most influential academics in the fields of social entrepreneurship and impact investing, Kathy has helped to build and launch a number of online resources for social entrepreneurs. So when she realized there was an urgent need for a centralized database of emergency funding sources for entrepreneurs struggling amidst the current pandemic, Kathy built and launched covidcap.com within about 24 hours. And covidcap helps any entrepreneur in the world, whether for-profit or nonprofit, to find cash relief resources in their communities. During our conversation, Kathy walked me through the, the conception and the creation of the site, what she is seeing in terms of funding response times for entrepreneurs, and her, her general thoughts on the role that impact investors can play during this crisis. Due to the urgency of the topic and, and the fact that a number of the funding sources have deadlines, we wanted to get this episode out as soon as possible. So after this, we'll be back on, on May 5th with a, a conversation with the Kaufman Foundation about their Capital Access Lab. Let's jump into the conversation. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'd, uh, I'd like to set a little bit of context since it seems like so much is changing on a, on a day-to-day basis. We're, we're recording this on April 8th. Uh, yesterday, Janet Yellen, the former chair of the Fed, estimated unemployment in the U.S. at 13% currently. And there's a lot of uncertainty around where exactly we are and in the crisis and, and how much worse it's going to get before it gets better. One of the reasons that, that Lindsay and I were so excited to have you on the show is, is you just built a great online resource for, for small businesses that are looking for emergency funding to stay afloat during this crisis and hopefully to, to stem that growth in, in unemployment. Um, and that, that resource is, is covidcap.com. And we'll, we'll dive into it in, in a little bit more detail in a bit. Um, but first, can you give a little bit of background on, on CASE at Duke and, and what you do? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I am faculty director of CASE, which stands for the Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship. And we are a research and education center located at the Fuqua School of Business at Duke University. Um, and we have focused for nearly 20 years on helping social entrepreneurs get their ideas to scale. Um, so that they can have deep systemic impact on social and environmental problems. And we do that through three main ways. We develop the next generation of leaders through our training and and support for MBA students. We work with uh, scaling social ventures, both nonprofit and for-profit all over the world. And then the last thing we do is we run an impact investing initiative called Case I3 uh, that I founded in 2011. And we are, I think still today, the only two-year fellowship program for MBA students interested in impact investing. And we do many other things around research and education. Great. So you're you're no stranger to, to online resources for entrepreneurs, it sounds like, given the work that you do at CASE. And you saw that there was a, a an urgent need for a, a centralized uh, or an aggregated database of, of funding that is available to small businesses right now. Um, so, so let me just jump in. Yeah. So yeah, sure. yes, we are no stranger to online because for the past three years, we have been running 
continuously an online training program for social entrepreneurs all over the planet who are trying to raise impact investment capital. That program is called Case Smart Impact Capital. It's at casesmartimpact.com. And it has been used by over 25,000 people in over 130 countries. You know, as, as entrepreneurs are trying to figure out how to get the capital that they need, we have basically crowdsourced those lessons from both investors and entrepreneurs and help people do that. So it was the context of the relationships um, and experience that we had built with that that actually led us to think about creating covidcap.com when, when COVID-19 pandemic hit all of us about a month ago, we asked ourselves a case, what could we do very quickly to help entrepreneurs? Uh, Through this crisis, we already had seen some very significant businesses in our local area shut down in the first week. And that scared me. Um, And that's actually was the impetus was fear uh, for for many others. It's a good motivator. It's a really good motivator. Mm -hmm. We know this. That's why we're all in our houses, uh, (laughs) because that's how it works. And so we realized first we could give away our tool. And so we set up a two week free giveaway, which actually ends today. And we've had a tremendous amount of people sign up, which is great. But then we realized, you know, so people need advice about how to raise capital even more during this period. But they also need to know where the new sources are. And so it really came out of that that we said, well, what could we do? Like, does this exist already? Like, if I'm an entrepreneur and, and you know, I'm in Milwaukee or I'm in Philadelphia or I'm in Durham, what would happen if I went to Google to try to find the emergency cash that I might need now? And, and remember two things. One is that you mentioned Janet Yellen. You know, this is very much a policy issue. The week that we put this out was the week that Congress was still debating the CARES Act. It had not passed yet. And so we were looking at what are the immediate sources of capital, grant capital or debt capital for entrepreneurs. And we started by saying anywhere, not just in the US, but you know, all of the Europe, Asia, Africa, everywhere that would help an entrepreneur today be able to keep their payroll intact so that they didn't have to let somebody go right as that person and their family were dealing with a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the that was the the main impetus. And so we looked around and we saw SoCap had a great list and we saw Andy had a great list. We went to the impact community first. We also saw Forbes had one, but they were all lists and they were all in text on the websites. And some of them had things that were capital sources and some of them had things that were just information. And so realizing, again, what we know from how entrepreneurs absorb and triage quickly, it was like, oh, we have to make this searchable. We have, we want it. Like, could we, it's, it was just a question. Could we, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I was crazy. I just did it myself. I just put, <laughs> I just put stuff into a spreadsheet like everyone else is doing. And I shared it with our networks. And within a day we had 90 resources. And when we looked through them, a good portion of them were due within a week like if you were going to apply for that cash. And so I said, I don't have time to like hire a designer and figure out who I should partner with. Let me just get this up. And that's, that's where it was born. It wasn't called COVID cap at first. It was something much more convoluted. It's gotten simpler and better, you know, in the past 10 days. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, you know, made a searchable website and then we started asking people to share. Who are the who are the partners that you reached out to when you, when you decided that you were going to to launch this yourself? Who who was the first call? The first call was to our advisory board. So okay. Case I three Case has two advisory boards. We have Case has one, which is mostly CEOs, 
of nonprofit and for-profit social enterprises. For example, we have the co-founder of B-Lab on our board, my good friend Bart. We have uh, Carla Javits, who runs Red F in San Francisco. We have a variety of of those. Um, On the Case I3 side, we have a set of impact investors. And again, it's a who's who with their absolutely wonderful people. And so we just said, what are you seeing? What are you seeing that that could be like that that we could add to this? And they sent us stuff and then it kind of ballooned from there because then they sent it to other people. And, you know, all you need, right? All you need is to start with a network and then the network can can grow. And we very quickly created a Google form so that people could send us more stuff. And and what is that what does that process look like if if you know who who is it for, I guess? Is it specifically for for entrepreneurs? It's the site is specifically for entrepreneurs who are looking for relief capital. So capital that is designed to go out the door extremely fast, either grant capital or loan capital or some sort of other cash equivalent, because there are people who are offering. So, for example, Yelp is offering free listings right to any entrepreneur for a certain period of time. And there's there's all sorts of companies who are doing those sorts of QuickBooks. I saw I was online helping. I do the books for my husband's business. And I noticed QuickBooks is giving away, uh, you know, some things. So there's there's also the kind of the gimmies. Um, we have fewer of those, but we have some of them. And so that's the, so the, the, the idea of the resources that you as an entrepreneur can go in and search by geography, the type of resource that it is. And when we have it, the date that it's due so that you can very quickly get a sense of, you know, is there stuff out here for me or do I have to keep looking? The other really mm-hmm. big thing that changed since we did that is the S in the U S is the cares act gave 350 billion to the SBA the Small Business Administration to give to banks and other community institutions to lend to any enterprise or nonprofit in the U.S. That was signed on the day that we released our site. Some banks started accepting applications last Friday, and the SBA has been completely overrun, and most of the banks have been completely overrun. And so it is very clear that the information, everyone's trying to work fast. Congress is trying to work fast. SBA, there's nothing wrong. Everyone's trying to help these entrepreneurs quickly and, and save jobs because the main program that the SBA has put through is actually a payroll protection program. So if you are worried about your payroll, but not being able to make payroll, they will give you up to two and a half times your payroll per month. And as long as you keep those people employed, the loan will be wiped out. So it's an amazing program, but there isn't enough of it. And so Two problems. One is it's probably going to be delayed. It's probably going to be six to eight weeks before anybody actually sees wow. that cash. Uh, and the second is that there isn't enough of it. And so there actually there's conversations right now on Capitol Hill around adding another $250 billion to that pot. I mean, just imagine, think about wherever you live, how many businesses and how many nonprofits around you employ people. And this is open to all of them. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a huge thing. And so um, we feel like our site actually got more useful when that came out because people realized, oh, all I really need to do is, is see if I can get through the next six to eight weeks. What can help me do that? Until that SBA exactly. payment protection plan kicks in. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, when I, when I think, you know, government, I don't necessarily think agile or, or, or flexible, but you know, you mentioned the urgency of, of the capital. So are there a lot of other resources that are available that you're seeing that are trying to fill in that gap now? Has it, has it shifted a little bit to try to specifically fill that six to eight week waiting period that you're talking about? Or, or what are you seeing? What I'm actually seeing is more and more of what we saw at the beginning, which is that cities, counties, at least in the US, cities, counties, and states mm-hmm. have been extraordinarily agile. I have been completely blown away by the speed 
at which some of these entities, these government entities, have figured out how to offer cash relief fast. And so, you know, if you go to our site and you search for California or you search for New York or you search for Chicago, you know, you'll see there's more than one or two resources in the major localities. Um, and then there's a splattering of what I call hyper-local um, sources. Somebody wrote to me yesterday and said, you know, I'm seeing a lot of loan stuff, but what about the grant stuff for people who just, you know, just it's a nonprofit and they just need the money? And I said, that's where the hyper-local is coming in. You're seeing private foundations, community foundations, a lot of philanthropic efforts to make small amounts of cash available very, very fast. Uh, which is not how most foundations work. And so it's it's an effort, you know, that they're they're really trying to, to put forward. Yeah, it seems like this has been the fastest mobilization of capital that that certainly I've seen. Do you think that there are lessons that can be learned from that for other kind of urgent challenges that that we're facing, like climate change and and things like that? Or I'm sure there are. And and what I didn't mention is it made me think of something else, which is that I also think there's two kinds of relief that we're seeing right mm-hmm. now, which are both important. We're seeing health relief, which are people trying to put money towards solving the issues that the pandemic has caused. Um, and we have a bunch of those that we've listed on our site. And many of them have come from USAID and Gates and some others. But there's also economic relief where it's neutral cash. Like the cash is just to keep the business employed, you know, the the, the people employed. I feel like I've seen a lot of the former in the past, right? I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, there's Ebola. Let's put out innovation grants to figure out, you know, how to do that. USAID does that all over the world. Every time there's an emergency, they do that. They know how to do that. There's the Grand Challenges um, Consortium, which is Gates, USAID, and Grand Challenges Canada, which have been doing this around health issues for the past 10 years extremely effectively. What I haven't seen as much is this general business relief. The, the, the depth of this crisis is at a completely different level. And so what's interesting to think about when you think about climate or others is, you know, what what are the mechanisms that we could put into place to allow people to start to mobilize fast for those sorts of things? The problem with climate, of course, is that no one sees it as an immediate threat to their livelihood. It doesn't have that fear factor. That you it doesn't earlier. have that immediate fear factor. Um, mm-hmm. And the, you know, as all we all know, the, 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 the real impacts of climate are, you know, outside of your balance sheet. They're external to our, to our economic system, externalities, right? People always call them. And, and so they're not visible. Obviously, many of us in the impact investing movement have been trying to make this visible through ESG screening and, and impact measurement for quite some time. But I think, uh, I know I'm supposed to say, yes, we can do this for everything. I don't, I think it's different. I think it's really, really different. Yeah, no, I appreciate the, the, the candor. You, you've mentioned USAID, you mentioned the Gates Foundation. Um, one, one focus of the podcast and, and, you know, SOCAP at large has always been this kind of like cross-sector collaboration, these, these unlikely allies. Um, and you're, you know, you're representing academia, you have, international development foundations. Um, what, what are you seeing in terms of that, that collaboration? How are these organizations working together to, to tackle this, this challenge? Uh, I'm starting to see, I think it takes a little bit longer, right? So there's not a ton of that that didn't occur in the first week, but I'm starting mm-hmm. to see um, some very interesting collaborations. And so one I would mention that I've been very impressed by is in New York City. They've put together a $75 million relief fund and it's 
think the last time I looked, it was 10 to 15 organizations who have partnered to put the money together and to get the word out, um, foundations, government, nonprofits, and others. I know Anthony Buglavine of, of Nonprofit Finance Fund has been very working very hard with that. And what he's been trying to do is say, you know, we did this in a week. We only could do this in a week because of the urgency that people perceived. But now that we know how to do it, we could roll that out to other cities. And so I think that's a marvelous example of somebody seeing it with scale in mind and not seeing it as an idiosyncratic one-off. But if we're really going to systematize help, there are community foundations and private foundations and corporations in every single city that could, you know, that could learn to do that. So that's been, that's been exciting. I've also seen or heard word of several new impact investment funds uh, that are forming from different organizations trying to pool together a certain kind of capital. And I've also seen more collaboration around some of the players in the, in the marketplace who are doing really focusing on bridge financing on, you know, really focusing on how do I get someone, you know, through an eight week period or through a 12 week period, knowing that once this crisis dip happens, they will have a solid business on the other side. And therefore I'm just helping them, you know, maybe I'm lending them what they would get from the SBA eight weeks from now. Um, We need a lot more people doing that. And that's great to see. Hi, I'm Keisha, Senior Content Manager for Spectrum. And I am excited to invite you to join me and the Spectrum community for three days of virtual conversations, workshops, and performances focused on the importance of access, inclusion, and impact. On June 9th through the 11th, we will gather multicultural change makers, entrepreneurs, innovators, and investors to have real conversations about ways to close the racial equity gap. Check us out at socialcapitalmarkets.net forward slash spectrum. Do you think that's the role of impact investors in this? This crisis. I mean, you said that it seems like most of the relief is driven by the the public sector. Is that what you're you're seeing? Is that what you would call on from from the impact investing community? I think the impact investing community has two two or three challenges and one one advantage. On the private market side, the impact investing community is almost always investing, whether it's for market rate investments or concessionary investments, and they're very different in terms of their goals. But they're always investing for some opportunity that other people aren't pricing correctly, that they see as an opportunity because they have in-depth knowledge in that area. I don't think that that pricing premium is going to go away. In fact, I think it's probably going to increase, which is that if you really understand the needs of a community, you're going to be able to find investable opportunities in that community faster. Um, and so one piece of advice is stay on the ground, stay low, stay in connection with the entrepreneurs and opportunities and problems within your area, whatever it is, if it's community development or health or education or whatever, there's going to be investable opportunities on that ground level. I also see on the public side, so the ESG, the environmental social governance part of the market, um, there's some data that's been shared recently by John Goldstein on Twitter showing that the ESG funds have outperformed their non-ESG counterparts in terms of losses as the stock market went down. And so I think there is an opportunity on the public side for impact investors who are working with clients or asset holders who care about those issues to, to share that information 
uh, with their clients and to start to, to not only not move that money, but maybe reinvest some of that money because the argument is that the managers who are managing managing for their business plus managing ESG may be better managers. And so there's a there's a premium that goes along with having selected. And I had some of my money in those funds and was very <laughs> glad to see this research. <laughs> but, um, I had just convinced my husband and he was like, we don't want to lose money. And I said, we just lost less than everyone else. And he said, okay, great. <laughs> so I'm looking, feeling really smart right now. But the but you know that's that's also significant. And then the third thing I would say, and we're having some conversations with some other institutions about this, which is it's one thing to say here's a bunch of relief resources and to put them out as to to stimulate a market. What really matters is did people use that money, and did it impact them? Did it save a job? Did it help them do something that they wouldn't be able to do? Did it keep them in their building longer? Did it allow them to develop a technology that? you know, tracks PPE better and allows mm-hmm. uh, hospitals to, to share resources, right? There's so much innovation potential and there's so much relief need that I think the longer opportunity for impact investors, especially those that have both grants and investments, is to, is to, is to allow some of the intermediary institutions who do research to go deep and to really say, where is this still needed? Like, we don't have a map function yet. I would love to start to map out you know, where are the countries that are doing relief well, where are the countries that are not, um, and that maybe other relief agencies need to step in? And what are the, you know, what are the long-term implications of having the resilience within your own marketplace to deal with a crisis? Because that will inform climate crises and other problems down the line. And what a lot of people are very worried about, so this is a very long answer to your question. No, no, it's great. <laughs> what, a, what a lot of people are worried about, of course, are the lower um, income individuals in developing markets such as Africa and Asia, where they haven't been hit very hard yet by COVID, but people are worried that when they are, the government and other institutions that we've been very fortunate to depend on in some of the developed markets are not going to be able to provide the same sort of agile relief. And so there's a whole bunch of people starting to talk about, well, what does it mean to be an impact investor for low-income environments and what do they need specifically that's different than maybe what we've done in the past. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we can take some of those lessons that we've learned by the earlier hit countries and and apply them preemptively to to some of these areas that that haven't yet been been hit by this crisis. And also recognize that, you know, specifically in the social entrepreneur community, right, a good portion of the SOCAP community are nonprofit social entrepreneurs some of those working in very hard to serve marketplaces, um, those people are going mm-hmm. to face different infrastructure challenges, different regulatory challenges than they faced in the past. Many of them are extremely nimble, but it's going to be hard. And so realizing that you know we may need more support, we may need more catalytic capital to deal with even in the U.S., right? I don't know if you saw yesterday, there was a piece that saying, you know, that African-Americans are dying at a much higher rate than some other groups. And, and, and you know, we, we need data for that. We need, we need feedback loops, and then we need to start addressing some of these issues. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, you mentioned, you know, the performance of your, your ESG funds. And, you know, obviously you, you literally wrote the book on impact investing with Jed, who was on the show a few weeks ago. It, it'll be interesting to see the, the industry has grown in lockstep with the longest bull market run in history, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it it sounds like the early results are 
encouraging, but but what do you expect from the impact industry as we potentially enter a, a market downturn, certainly in a period of increased volatility? So I have lived through several market downturns as an impact investor. Um, and what tends to happen is first people freak out a little bit and they start they start pulling back on new investments in things that maybe are first-time managers or first-time funds or things that they're not sure. They, they're Basically, their perception of risk changes. So that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is what I talked about with ESG when this happened during the last recession, which is um, there were significant parts of the impact investment market that outperformed the regular market. They are, they are differential risks. And so it, there's mm-hmm. an offsetting piece there, which is really important. And then the third thing that happens eventually is people start to realize, as I said before, it's all about opportunity and impact investors and social entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs in particular. I I sometimes say to my class, social entrepreneurs are the R&D arm uh, of society. (laughs) They know things. That's their goal. Their goal is to get in there and get feedback loops started and to efficiently figure out what people need faster than anybody else. That is always going to be investable. And so I just, I say part of it is just like weeding it out And, you know, realizing that during a recession, there's probably not going to be 600 new student ventures. There may be only 50, you know, and and, um, investors are going to have to choose. Do they want to hold back capital for their current portfolio or do they want to give it to um, new people? And so that's a little bit going to happen for them, especially during this, because this is more than a recession. This is a recession plus, you know, lockdown um, Mm -hmm. for unforeseen amount of time. So there's just a tremendous amount of risk that people are perceiving right now. But once that settles, which I predict will be a while, but once it settles, I think we'll go back to what normal recession behavior is. Do you have any like calls to action for, for our listeners? What, what can they do to, I, I imagine, you know, it, it's, a, it's roughly a cross-section of the SOCAP community. We have social entrepreneurs, we have investors. Um, what, what, what would you encourage them to do? Uh, hug their children. <laughs> while you're shooing them out of the room gently hug them um i would encourage uh the socap community to remember why you're in this the values that this community brings and shares with each other is is a capital source in and of itself and i feel like you know not to be too poetic i feel like we feel it every day when we get on zoom calls and we realize that that our uh, colleagues around us are continuing to 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 do really hard work that's really valuable, um, no matter what the circumstance and no matter what the technology. I also would love, very selfishly, but not very selfishly, to to make sure that any entrepreneur who is trying to survive right now has resources uh, or has access to resources that they might need, and that might include. In there, if they're in the U.S., you know, writing to their lo- looking up their local chamber of commerce. You no, know, it may not be on our site yet, but maybe it's there. Do mm-hmm. the googling that we did to get those resources on. Um, what can they do? Sorry to cut you off, but what what can they do if they find a resource that's not on your site? Is there a submission process? There is a submission process. There's two things they can do. If you go to covidcap.com right now, there's a splash page that you get to before you get into the database, and that date that mm-hmm. has instructions that you can do them one by one, or you can download an Excel spreadsheet and send us a whole bunch at once, which we love. Uh, <laughs> that's really helpful. So that's a that's an easy one. Um, and then 
it's also difficult because you can't like you can't even go to your main street and walk up and down and help the businesses there but you can email the people that you know or you can drop lines on their websites to you know just a lot of small businesses hair salons you think about all the all the services business service businesses that they they not be impact mm-hmm. businesses but they are impacting people's livelihoods right now it feels like all businesses right now are social enterprises exactly. given the, the unemployment rate. The unemployment right? is a huge impact and everyone understands yeah. that. And so reach out to them and say, are you, are you aware of this resource? Have you thought about an SBA loan? You know, what what can you do to keep yourself afloat? And I, I think that could be tremendously impactful. Great. Thank you. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to to get out there before I, I let you go? The only other thing that I would like to say, and it might be a little Time, it's timely now and it might become dated very soon as we are doing a free webinar uh, next Thursday, April 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time uh, okay. for entrepreneurs who are managing fundraising during the crisis. Um, and I'd love to have people attend that. Hopefully we'll have a, a few days to get some people on on there for your webinar. But awesome. Well, well Kathy, thank you so much for for all the great work you're you're doing and and for taking the time to to sit down with me. I appreciate you you sharing these resources with our our listeners. And I so appreciate SoCap and you Alex for being in it always and helping connect us all as we we try to, you know, deal with what has been thrown our way and continue to have impact. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Money and Meaning. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Kathy. And please make sure that you share that resource, covidcap.com, with anyone in your network that you think could potentially benefit from some of these funding sources that are available right now for entrepreneurs around the world. As always, we, we really appreciate your support and for listening to the show. If you have a, a friend or two who you think would enjoy it, please share with them. Please rate us five stars on, on Apple Podcasts. If you want to get in touch with me, I would love to hear from you. And you can reach me at moneyandmeaningpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back in three weeks with a new episode.